中央人民广播电台。Og lige nu her på det er et sted at tænke godt til klar til at præsentere TV-avisen. Hvad skal man også lige tage dig ud? Kilmitin Ubas. Her er det første danske fjernsyn med det tageshow. Welcome to Planet Mundus. This is our third episode. My name is Felio Dwyer, and I'll be your host for this week. Today we'll be talking about Nigeria's upcoming elections, happening in a fortnight on February 14th. Our guest today is award-winning investigative journalist and winner of the 2012 Young Nigerian of the Year, Idris Akinbaju. I'll be speaking to him about the election, the major players, and his prediction for what might occur in the weeks ahead. We'll also have an interview with prominent Nigerian musician Pasuma about voter education concerts, and of course, Jan Willems will end the show with his comedic take on the election. First, though. Here's our reporter Hans Liedke about why this election will be a stern test for Africa's largest democracy. Assalamu alaikum. Aap sun rahe hain Planet Mundus. In two weeks, Nigeria will once again come under the spotlight as they prepare for national elections. Indeed, these elections mark yet another stern test for Africa's largest democracy amid the fear of violence on regional and ethnic lines. Who are the key players? Since independence from Great Britain in 1960. Nigeria's politics have been dominated by a succession of military leaders. It took the path to democracy in 1999. Nigeria now follows an American model with the president retaining strong executive rights. The current president, Goodluck Jonathan from the People's Democratic Republic (PDP) and his opponent, Muhammadu Buhari from the All Progressive Congress (APC), are the most likely candidates to win. Jonathan is widely perceived as the man of the Christian majority South, the home to Nigeria's vast oil wealth. Election is about the young people. Either you vote for the young Nigerians to be relevant in the Nigerian political history, or you vote for you to be irrelevant. His opponent Buhari garnered the bulk of his support from the Muslim North and was previously involved in the coup in 1993. I seek to be next president of our beloved nation because I believe I have something to offer Nigeria at this time. Of multiple crises, we seek a new Nigeria. It starts with us. It starts today. What is the current situation in Nigeria? As a post-colonial African state, Nigeria is home to over 150 ethnic groups. Nigeria's turbulent year has led to an increase in tension, particularly between the north and south of the country. Allegations of corruption plague both of the candidates. Boko Haram controls large swaths of Nigerian territory, and previous elections have hardly been free from controversy. Both parties accuse each other of being biased and of fraud during the elections. Seemingly, Nigeria is becoming increasingly polarized. Both northern and southern military factions have already declared war if their candidate loses, and both candidates have only given moderate lip service in order to downplay the threat of violence. What will happen after the elections? So far, the candidates have played the religious card in order to polarize support. If Buhari loses, mobs could take to the streets in northern cities, as they did when he lost in 2011 vote. But this time, with Boko Haram poised to add to the bloodshed. If Jonathan loses, his supporters in the Delta could reignite violence. This is Hans Liedke for Planet Mundus. 지금 여러분은 Planet Mundus를 듣고 계십니다. Thank you very much for that piece, Hans. I'm joined now by Idris Akinbajo. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm fine. So, if we could just、uh, hear your thoughts, do you have any any thoughts on what we've just heard? 
Oh, I think it's a generally good uh, assessment of the current situation. Uh, I think the report has done a good job of the brief analysis. Uh, some of the statements are a bit generalized, but I think it's 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 good. Cool, fantastic. So, could you first tell us what's at stake in this election for you personally, and also what you feel is at stake for Nigeria? For me, what is at stake is uh, uh, the progress of Nigeria, really. I mean, Nigerians would have the opportunity to democratically choose who would lead them, or the parties or the individuals that would lead them for the next four years. And so it's an opportunity to decide whether they want to continue with the status quo or they want to change. So personally, I would want, I would love to see how Nigerians would decide. And then for Nigeria, I mean, the country is facing so many challenges now that perhaps a revalidation of the current leadership or a change of it might make things better. Um, many spectators have predicted that this election could be marred by violence. What do you think the reasons for this are? The reasons for this are numerous. Uh, it's true that they could be marred by violence. Already, it's already turning violent. Uh, we've seen several incidences of violence. Not only have people attacked themselves, uh, party sectarians have been bombed. Uh, so it's clear that uh, despite the major actors pledging to be non-violent, uh, their supporters are already becoming violent, even when the election has not been held. So irrespective of how the election goes, there is a, a huge apprehension that the election might become violent. Already even within Nigeria, something that is not too well reported is that already within Nigeria, a lot of people are already migrating to safe zones. There is real apprehension. And that is caused by many reasons. One, history has shown that uh, some Nigerians are not used to accepting defeat. Two is that uh, elections have been manipulated in the past. And if they are manipulated again, the threshold of that by which people can withhold the manipulation of elections is limited. And three is the fact that security agencies have clearly shown bias. And once people lose trust in security agencies, then they will just take the laws into their hands. So many people will know about Boko Haram um, and their control over a large swathe of the north of Nigeria. Uh, the government of Nigeria has been criticized for not having control over that territory. How do you think this is going to impact on the election? Ordinarily, it should be a major issue in the election. It's interesting, even before coming to the steel deal, uh, uh, reports emerged that uh, the Boko Haram stormed uh, one of the largest cities in northern Nigeria, Maiduguri, which is the capital of perhaps the largest state in terms of landmass in Nigeria. So it's clear the Boko Haram insurgency is a major problem. I mean, over 30 local governments they control. I wouldn't say it would play a major role in this election. The Boko Haram insurgency would really not affect the majority of voters. What roles do you think religion and oil politics will play in this election? Religion and ethnicity will play a very, very major role in the election. It's very unfortunate, but uh, perhaps those are the two major factors that will decide the election. Objective Nigerians would know that uh, the elections are already uh, spanning out to be influenced by religion and ethnicity. We've had uh, religious leaders uh, come out to make public pronouncements on who to vote for or who not to vote for. Same thing we've had ethnic groups declare support for 
different candidates based strictly on ethnicity. And once that is done, these are people who have direct influence on the voters. Mm -hmm. If there is something Nigerians can be excessively passionate about, it's religion. Mm -hmm. It's And it's not just Islamic religion. Just as you have Islamic fundamentalists, you also have Christian fundamentalists in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. It's the degree of fundamentalism perhaps differs, but it really is in existence. And so once uh, really, uh, religious leaders are clearly dabbling into politics, then they can influence their voters. And uh, already we already see uh, ethnic jingoists even playing the violence card. A few days ago, uh, the former militants uh, uh, in the Niger Delta region, uh, they were the ones who carried arms against the states, who were kidnapping uh, Western oil experts and the rest in the Niger Delta and uh, reduced Nigeria's foreign uh, export, crude, uh, export crude from about 2 million barrels to about 400,000 barrels because of their arms and uh, how they took the arms against the states. And then the government virtually started paying them not to carry arms against the states, mm. which has been on under the so-called amnesty program. Now they met on Friday uh, and issued a communique, which is very interesting. In the communique, they essentially said, if good luck Jonathan is not re-elected as president, we are going to declare war on Nigeria. For those who do not understand uh, who these uh, persons are, you will probably just dismiss it as rabble-rousing. But for those who know how militarily equipped they are, then clearly they can actually declare war on the Nigerian government, especially since the Nigerian military is at its weakest state it has ever been in history. I see. So once uh, armed groups like that are already declaring war should their candidates win or lose, then there is a problem. Next, we turn to our reporters Ching Lee and Friar Erickson about voter education concerts being arranged around Nigeria. Esto es Planet Mundus. Nigeria, with 177 million people, has Africa's largest population. About 60% of all Nigerians are young people under 25 years old. So how do you get them to vote? To find out, we called one of them, Ayudeji Osowobi. She's concert manager at Enough is Enough. This is a big coalition of Nigerian youth organizations. Among many other things, they try to promote voting through music. Hi, Ayodaji. This is Ching Li from Planet Mondos. I know that you started this concert to make people in Nigeria believe in peace and forget about violence. How does that work? We're bringing them together to preach the message of peace during elections. So we have artists who speak indigenous language. They can preach the message in languages people can actually understand. Um, our main focus is young people, especially 18 to 35 years old. So how important are the young voters of Nigeria? They're very, very important because uh, young people account for up to 65% of the Nigerian population. If you look at our economy today, we account for up to 75% of the economy. So right now, are the young people are really involved in the political situation? Yes, they are, because young people are more aware of the environment, of the society, of, of the electoral process, and what's going on. So yes, um, I would say for 2015, yes, more youth are involved in the electoral process. And um, we actually focus more on those who have access to technology. So mobile phones, internet, television, you know. Is that the majority of the young population has access to technology? Yes, they do. So do you say that communication technology has changed 
anything in terms of political conditions in Nigeria? Oh, yes, it has. I mean, people are more aware. People are actually thinking about it. People are asking questions. You know, it's not about silence anymore. It's asking very, very important questions. So from your personal perspective, what are your hopes and expectations for the upcoming elections? I mean, number one, I'm looking forward to a violence-free election. The second thing I'm looking forward to is having so many who turn out to vote. I want to see many people come out to say, yes, I want to be part of the change. So is violence in the elections your biggest fear, or do you have any other fears? Actually, um, election violence is not actually my fear, because I have to believe we not have electoral violence. So my fear actually is people not turning up to vote. Yes, that's my fear. But who performs at the concerts, and why? One of the performers is Waziwa Labi, also known as Pasuma Wonder. Pasuma started playing 30 years ago and has released 35 albums since then. We called him on a dodgy line to Nigeria and asked a few questions. Yeah, this is Pasuma, yeah. So, Going through Skype and two phone lines to Nigeria creates somewhat dodgy recordings. But having listened to this a thousand times, I'll just summarize what Pasuma said. First of all, how does Pasuma hope his music affects the people listening? So he says, I think people really love Pasuma and our music, and they think our music educates them. And how does he think the concerts might influence the elections? So the concert is very, very good. It's going to influence the people. It's going to influence the elections because we need to educate our people. We need to tell them how to vote, how to get their voters card, you know. I'm telling my fans the good thing and the bad thing. I'm telling my fans what to do and what not to do. That's it. Lastly, what are Pasuma's expectations for the upcoming elections? So, Pasuma is not a politician. He just prays for a fair election, a free and fair election, and he thinks the people know who they want to vote for. So, they should vote and not fight. On Planet Mundus. So Idris, uh, any reaction to that piece? Do you think that voters are influenced by concerts and factors like that? Yeah, of course, uh, they can be influenced by concerts. Uh, and it's good that such a concert is being put in place to bring uh, prominent uh, musicians uh, like Pasuma and others to pass the message across to the voters, particularly the young voters. I mean, the crowd they, they have influence on Hopefully they can, through their music, speak to them. Uh, uh, to not, uh, for me, what's most important is to not be violent. Uh, and uh, it's good that Pasuma himself is committing to a non-violent election uh, uh, because he really does have influence on a sizable number of people, some of whom uh, are known to have been violent in the past. So if he can use his music and others can also use their own music to do the same, 
-hmm. hopefully it will reduce uh, the incidence of violence during the elections. Okay. In your coverage as a journalist, uh, what challenges have you faced in terms of breaking stories, particularly ones that were critical of government? Several, several. Uh, when uh, I remember in 2012, when uh, we were working, myself and my colleagues, we were working on uh, a story, a six-part story on corruption in the Nigerian oil industry. The story eventually won us the CNN Award uh, and also were, were the Nigerian Investigative Journalist Award and also the African one. The encounters we met were ridiculous. So while you're working on a story, a clear investigative story, you then start getting calls and messages from your fellow journalists in other media to say, Idris, why are you doing this? This man has called me to appeal to you. He has said he has offered you all this. What do you want to drop this story? And I say, come on, if the man wants to kill this story, you as a journalist should be, tell him he cannot do that. Why are you the one trying to placate me to drop the story? That happens a lot also. And then, of course, there is the issue of bribery, the white envelope, the brown envelope syndrome, as we call it. The amount of money I have been offered for stories is, I mean, if I wanted to become, if I wanted to be a billionaire, I think really by Nigerian standard, I'll probably not be a billionaire, but I'll be a multi-millionaire by now. Uh, the amount of money you get offered to do stories or to not do stories. Uh, but I think for me, journalism is a call. Yes. And uh, it's uh, something I'm willing to do until I find a better way to hold government more accountable. So I, I would never for any reason compromise myself. In one of our conversations that you and I had previously, you told me that your mother had encouraged you to accept <laughs> bribes from... Uh, yeah, you see, it's it's a, any any principled Nigerian who tells you he doesn't face family pressure is not being truthful. I mean, right from my university days, it's not just my mom, it's not just my siblings, it's not just my friends, everyone. I mean, you seem like the odd one out, really. I mean... Sometimes when I, I remember there was a time when I was working on a story and I had to, I had tried to contact the, the spokesperson of uh, the petroleum ministry repeatedly on phone and he would say, no, I won't talk to you. And finally he said, come, let me meet you. Let, let, let me really talk. And he said, okay, I will be there, no problem. And I went to his office and of course there was so much security at the entrance and I had to pass through so much security protocol. And I arrived and you know the first thing he told me? He said, you don't even have a car. Let's buy you a car and stop all this. <laughs> and I just laughed and said, that's not what, I'm not here because of a car. I'm here just for you to answer these questions. Can you just go straight? It's, so it's, it's uh, the pressure is much, even from family members. But I think now my family members have realized that I, I won't change. So I think everybody adjusts. But really, the pressure was really much. I mean, why live a poor man's life when you can be a millionaire, really? Some people would just look at it. I, I mean, I have people, even family members, friends who have told me, you're doing all this because you don't have your own family yet. Maybe by the time you have kids, you would realize that you can't be too principled. You need to make money and the rest. But I don't think so. It sounds like a lot of pressure, and I can see why many people might end up caving into that pressure. Mm. Uh, so what role do you see for yourself playing in Nigeria once you eventually return? Yeah, for me, like I said, uh, I would continue my journalism. I'm not a journalist because I think journalism is the best thing to happen to humanity. For me, I'm a journalist because uh, I see it as a tool to make Nigeria a better nation, a greater nation that it can be and it should be. So if I go back to Nigeria, when I go back to Nigeria, I would continue my journalism. And if I see any other role I can play to make the country better, to make the leaders more accountable and responsible, 
to stamp out corruption, which is the major reason Nigeria is where it is, then I would also be involved in it. Last up for today, Jan Willems gives us his report on radical groups and corrupt governments. C'est Radio Mundus. Irregularities with elections, corruption scandals, a megalomaniac stillbirth of an airport, a governor in crisis, marauding groups of violent men causing mayhem and preaching hate. Right now, Nigeria has every right to be concerned about the situation in Germany. With eagle eyes, Nigerians have been observing a situation that escalates more and more. Abasi Okonyo is a politically interested fisherman from a small town near Lagos. When thinking of the developments in Germany, he is left feeling helpless. Germany's reunification has always been an immense inspiration for the Nigerian people. It showed us that nation-building can work, even in the most dim and grey regions of this planet. All Nigerians put great hopes in the 25th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall last year. We hoped it would inspire the people of Germany anew to live in peace with each other. But now it pains us to see how movements like Pegida drain the solidarity of the people. The insurgence of Pegida reminds Nigerians like Abasi Okonyo painfully of developments in their own country. Pegida is the German acronym standing for Patriotic Europeans Against the Islamization of the Occident. The far-right movement preaches xenophobia and rallies thousands in its strongholds like Leipzig and Dresden. Abasi Okonyo sees parallels to the situation in Nigeria. For a long time now, we've been struggling with Boko Haram. That means we have a lot of experience in dealing with radical extremists. I sent several letters to the German Chancellor Angela Merkel offering our help and cooperation in fighting Pegida off. So far, I have not received a response, but I am going to keep sending the letters. The Nigerian people won't avert its eyes in the face of adversity. We want to be there for the suffering people of Germany. If we stand by it now, we won't have to send political observers later. Also, Nigerian President Goodluck Jonathan has been overheard worrying about the situation of the German federal state Thuringia. Its government has recently been shaken by a bribing scandal. To top it off, the governor's immunity has been revoked. Sources close to Goodluck Jonathan quote the Nigerian president with the words, The situation in Thuringia as well as Germany in total is very worrisome. The extent of corruption is shocking. These scandals put Democrats like me to shame. If we don't act quickly, we might have to deal with a failed state in the near future. In the grey outskirts of Berlin stands a gigantic building under construction. Berlin's new airport is shaken by scandals and exploding both in time and money schedules. Several heads of the supervisory board have already rolled. Now the ruin under construction stands symbolically for a failed attempt at state building, a symbol of the decline of the West. Can the airport one day perhaps be the landing site for Nigerian election observers? Right now it doesn't seem so. The false pride of Germany to accept help from Nigeria chokes off any improvement. This leaves a nasty taste in the mouth of fisherman Abasi Okonyo. We have vast experience with similar situations and would love to offer our expertise to Germany, even though it won't let us. But we won't give up. Whenever Europe comes to its senses and accepts our offer, Nigeria will be glad to help. This is Jan Willems for Planet Mundus. Use closer to Planet Mundus. Thank you to our guest Idris and to you the listener. This show was produced and presented by journalists from around the world in Aarhus, Denmark. You can check us out on our website, planetmundus.com or hiddengems.dk. You can also follow us on Facebook or Twitter. My name's Felio Dwyer. Have a good week and see you next time. Just.